Dr. Everett Piper is the author of the national bestseller, Not a Daycare, I have to smile every time I read that, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Dr. Piper served as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University for 17 years, during which time he led the school from relative obscurity to a position of national recognition and influence. Dr. Piper uh, presently serves as a contributing columnist for the Washington Times, with thrilling op-eds and pieces, and has been featured on Fox, Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, Adam Carolla, Dave Rubin, Tucker Carlson, Mike Huckabee, and many more because of his brave voice and courageous stand for truth in a post-truth society. He also may be, listen, the most pro-life president of any Christian college in the country. This conversation is going to bless you. Buckle up. You're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber. This is Unaborted. Dr. Everett, welcome to the show, brother. I'm delighted to be on. I'm honored, and I need to apologize to your audience for wearing my Copan truck stop uh, <laughs> rancher hat. As I told you in the pre-show discussion, I just came in off the ranch uh, taking care of some horses and some cows, so forgive me. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing my best impersonation of Red Green. Do you watch the Red Green show out your way? If no. not, you need to. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I'll check that out. Uh, I, uh, for you guys tuning in right now, um, you guys know I talk a lot about uh, the state of Christian higher education as an alum of Westmont College, and I had told uh, Dr. Piper before the show that uh, if Gail Beebe of Westmont College ever uh, showed up dressed like uh, Everett is right now, I, I would fear he'd become a conservative um, because he wouldn't be so overly concerned with his appearance. Um, both intellectually, oh. academically, and physically. Um, and th that seems to be sort of a, a core tenet of elitism, unfortunately. Um, anyways, we'll, we have a lot to get into, but Dr. Everett, I wanted to have you on the show uh, because um, our paths crossed actually some years ago. Uh, I want to briefly tell this story, and then I want you to share your background and story. But I think it's just a fun story uh, for the listeners of this show, who, by the way, are mainly not like pro-life activists. Like, yeah, we have some pro-life activists who listen to the show, but mostly it's actually just like awesome parents and Christians and, and like Christian young people who are in high school and college and, and they've just had a spark awakened in their heart for pro-life and they've recognized that confessing pro-life beliefs but refusing to resist the evil of abortion is not enough. Um, and so I've shared with you guys before on the show that I went to Westmont College uh, in, in Santa Barbara, California that I now say is more in the business of creating advocates for the enemy uh, than they are in discipling the next generation of Christians to stand for truth in the public square. Um, but shortly after I graduated Westmont, I graduated 2014, I believe and then in 2016, very early in 2016, I attended Oklahoma Wesleyan University for one week for a special applied uh, pro-life bioethics course that was co-taught by Scott Klusendorf and um, Mark Newman. Dr. Mark Newman we just had on the show, actually. And I attended Mark Newman's segment on, on public speaking. And so we met then, back in 2016. Um, we took a picture together because, you know, we, for pr pr promotional purposes with the president of the college. And, and you actually shook my hand. I don't, know, I don't know if you remember this. And you said, you look familiar. And, and I said, oh, uh, I don't know. It's great to meet you, Dr. Piper. And, and you said, D were you that student from Westmont who held abortion photos on campus? And I was like, yeah, that was me. Uh, and then we had a short conversation about Westmont. And, uh, and so anyways, that, that was super fun. You left me one of the first reviews on my podcast, which, which meant a lot. Uh, you're, you're a hero to me. You're a, a man among men um, when there's not a lot of men standing. Uh, so, um, what's your what's your background and story? I mean, the fact that uh, you were so pro-life as a Christian college president, unfortunately, puts you in the minority. But um, how did God bring you into Christian higher academia and and kind of put that burden on your heart to serve the church in that way? Well, anytime you ask uh, somebody to share their story, you need to be careful. <laughs> you may get more than you want. So I'm going to try to discipline it. myself and and give you a brief response. Uh, actually, my attire today, my my work uh, ranch hat, my flannel shirt, working on the farm, taking care of cows and horses, is my background. I grew up as a um, as a redneck, 
I grew up as a blue collar kid in Hillsdale, Michigan. My dad was a truck driver and a small farmer. My mom worked odd jobs to help pay the bills. And uh, neither one of my parents had a high school degree. When I did graduate from high school, I went to work in a local factory, a tool and die shop, uh, because Michigan, the auto industry, almost everything was tied into auto supply. And I had a very good job. I was making good money, third shift at Hillsdale Tool and Manufacturing. And then I had a second job working with migrant workers picking apples in the apple orchards during that season. Um, As God's providence would have it, one night during lunch break, which if I remember correctly, third shift lunch break is about three o'clock in the morning. I was sitting at my picnic table inside the factory eating my lunch and a gentleman who was a private business owner sat down next to me. He had a flower shop in town. And um, he said, what are you doing here? Uh, I said, the same thing you're doing here. I'm making money. Well, he was making money to try to make payroll, as many small business owners do. They have to work a second job in order to get the thing off the ground. Um, He looked at me and he said, why don't you go to college? And I thought, I don't even know what college is. I don't have a clue what a liberal arts institution is. But there happened to be a Christian liberal arts college up the road about a half hour away. So I washed off the grease and I got in my expensive factory rat car that I could afford. And I drove up the road and enrolled in one class to see if I could do it. It was a Gospels and Acts class. Hmm. At the end of the semester, I had about an A minus B plus, And I thought, maybe I can do this. I have no idea what I'm going to do or why I'm doing this. But wow. I sold my car, paid for the first semester. And the rest is history. God used the ivory tower. He used education to change my life. So I'm a huge fan of Christian liberal arts education. Hmm. I believe in the model. I believe in its ideals. Uh, like I said, in God's providence and grace, he used it to turn my, turn my life into something that I never would have dreamed of in terms of going on and making a life and a career in the academy and becoming a college president that served for nearly 18 years at the tail end. And now, because of my big mouth and the, the uh, propensity that I have in my old blue-collar redneck ways to challenge this lunacy that's taking yeah. place in the ivory tower, I've got a bit of a platform. So that's a, that's a very—I'm uh, skipping over the high points of some of my story for you there. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. That's so encouraging. Um, because there, there does seem to be um, something about higher education, both on the secular— and the religious side that just causes people to become liberals. Um, I don't know what it is exactly. I'm sure we could probably do entire episodes just on that one question. Just as there's something about big cities that always turn blue, and there's something about higher education that always turns liberal. Uh, or as C.S. Lewis says, you know that, that this type of education just tends to make a man a more clever devil. Um, and that seems to be sort of the norm, unfortunately. And when I attended Westmont College, uh, Dr. Piper, I didn't know what kind of university I was getting involved with. Okay, so I was homeschooled through eighth grade. Then I went to public high school because I wanted to be involved in athletics. My mother was a pregnancy resource center director when she was pregnant with me in 1991. I did the walk for life every year. I did my senior project on abortion. I was homeschooled for most of my life. I'm thinking a Christian college is a Christian college. That's what I'm thinking. I'm 18 years old. I have no understanding in 2010 of the schisms in evangelicalism, of the fact that there are many Christian colleges today who will willingly and happily hire pro-abortion professors. They won't bat an eye. Oh, you're pro-abortion? Yeah, you can totally teach at our college. Now, if they were an out-and-out racist, right, uh, with, you know, their, um, you know, I don't know, identifying with the Grand Wizard or something, that, that Christian professor would be fired like that. But if you believe the same thing, that not all humans are persons, you definitely have a teaching position at Westmont College. I had no idea that I was attending one of the most progressive Christian colleges in the country. Um, I started the first pro-life club to have ever existed or started there. It took me a full semester to find a faculty advisor. I finally got it approved, and I asked as a freshman to bring the Center for Bioethical Reform onto campus for their genocide awareness project. Two days, big warning signs everywhere so you can avoid the display if you want to, and then imagery that compares abortion to historically recognized forms of genocide to make the point that the worldview is the same. 
In short, that was shot down three years in a row. By the time it was shot down my junior year, Dr. Piper, I said, enough of this. And I stood outside the dining commons with smaller handheld signs showing abortion imagery. Stu Cleek and Tim Wilson, two staff members, come up and they say, did you get approval to do this? I say, no. They say, we're going to have to ask you to leave. I say, no. Here's your student handbook. Um, I'm not breaking any rules. I didn't ask my club to stand with me, and I'm here alone. So it's not a club event. I'm just a tuition-paying student exercising my right to free speech. Uh, to which they said, aw, nuts. Um, and we spent the next two hours debating, and they finally admitted that I had not broken any rules. Long story short, Dr. Everett, um, they ended up changing the rules in the student handbook the next year so that any student doing any type of presentation whether as an individual or as a club, needs prior approval by at least a week um, before doing that, rather than dealing with the fact that the reason I was doing that display was, one, because Westmont hides the horror of abortion from students, and the conversations that happen in the classroom um, involve the professors taking no position. And I know this because I talk to students in the medical, philosophy, and sociology department. It doesn't come up. And because Westmont doesn't take a position on abortion, no position whatsoever. Um, rather than dealing with that fact, they invent a new rule to prevent me from ever doing that again. Um, and then I started having debates with pro-abortion professors at Westmont College via emails. And I went, oh my goodness, what is the state of Christian evangelicalism? So what are your thoughts on all of that? I'm sure there's a lot we can talk about there. But as someone who's you know, been contending in that sphere for a while, what, where do you see are the issues? What would you say to my experience? And, and what, what, what do we need to do to save Christian higher education? Well, my first reaction is I'm not surprised. Um, tell me something I don't know. Um, I'm a huge fan of a liberal arts institution. I'm even a bigger fan of a liberal arts institution that's grounded in a biblical worldview and unapologetically so. Amen. Uh, and by biblical worldview, I mean a biblical worldview, one that embraces the Bible as being the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. It's true with a capital T. It is our anchor. It is our true north. Um, back to your point about what happens to the Christian colleges and what happens to the church over time. Um, I think the answer is the pathology of the intellect. In fact, a man from the West Coast that you may know, Graham Walker, who was my provost at Oklahoma Wesleyan University when I was first hired back in 2002, and then later became the president of Patrick Henry University, wrote an excellent paper that he presented at the Oklahoma Wesleyan University Chapel while I was president. He titled it The Pathology of the Intellect. And in a nutshell, what Graham said is that the academy, the ivory tower, colleges and universities are prone to the sickness of the mind. Arrogance, snobbery, chronological snobbery, um, the character in The Great Divorce that C.S. Lewis describes when he challenges that character and said, when did we ever write any original essays? We just run, r jumped into the current of popularity and rode it along. We rode the stream along because we wanted to get good grades. That's intellectual arrogance. That's the pathology of the intellect. Smart people think they're smarter than anyone else around them. And frankly, ultimately, they declare themselves to be smarter than God. That's the nature of the of the beast for uh, colleges and universities. It's a story that's a broken record. It repeats itself over and over again. The, wow. the Apostle Paul refers to it in Romans, where he says we're given over to the reprobate mind. Why? Because we start worshiping the God that we see in the mirror more so than the God we see in the Bible. We wow. uh, commit the original sin over and over again. We declare ourselves to be as God, and we don't, know, we don't need anybody else to tell us what's right or wrong, good or evil, up or down, black or white, or even male or female, or what's living or what's dead, to get into one of your key issues. That's the nature of the, of the beast. And the only thing that corrects that is humility before the cross, as opposed to this arrogance of the, of, of the mind, the pathology of the intellect. So what's happened at the academy? We have a tendency to elevate ourselves, um, you hire a bunch of smart people. They think they know everything, when indeed they're probably experts in one discipline and one discipline alone. But you can't tell them that because they are gifted intellectually. Um, 
So, in fact, I won't bore you with this, Seth, but I actually did my dissertation at Michigan State University on this very issue. Hmm. Uh, the definition of evangelical Christianity and how it was slipping wow. and how Christian colleges hmm. and universities were guilty of false advertising. They weren't telling their customers the truth. Yeah. And my, my premise was at Spring Arbor University, where I worked at the time, my alma mater, I knew that we had nice four-color brochures that talked about um, evangelical Christian education. I knew parents expected to get something specific when they paid for that for their children. And I knew that students expected to get something yeah. specific. Evangelical meant something. So yeah. my question in my dissertation was, what does that mean in the mind of the consumer? And is the college actually giving the consumer that? And wow. the conclusion to my research right. was, no, we were lying. Wow. We were guilty of false advertising. I knew wow. that we had faculty, not only that were pro choice, but who used the Lord's name in vain in the classroom, for example, and were socialists. I knew we had faculty who had posters of Vladimir Lenin on their wall in their office. I knew that. Uh, I worked there. I had a professor yeah. once cuss a student out, and forgive me for saying this, I'm going to quote the professor. This is not language that I would use, nor would you use on this show. But I had a student come into my office once at Spring Arbor University and say, you told me this was a Christian university when my mom and I came here during orientation. And I said, I did. What's the problem? He said, well, I didn't know the answer to a question in English class today. And the professor confronted me in front of everybody and said, and I quote, Jesus Christ, don't you know the answer to the question? Close quote. She used the Lord's name in vain wow. at a Christian university. And here's the thing. I said, that's completely unacceptable. I understand your concern. I'll call the provost. I was the VP for student development at the time. I'll call the provost and express your concern. We'll get this wow. fixed. Called the provost and he responded to me. Again, a man who was from out your way. And uh, he responded to me and he said, well, Everett, um, you're right. She shouldn't have said that. But Everett, you need to understand that some people of this woman's denomination don't consider that to be cursing. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? You're using Jesus's name in vain and you don't consider that to be cursing. And even if it's true wow. that there are given denominations that don't think that's yeah. wrong, why are you hiring them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you hiring these people to well, work at a Dr. Christian Piper, university? If you, if, you, if you read it in its real context and you look at the Greek and, and the Hebrew and you can see how, and I would get this at Westmont all the time, right? I, I sat down with a, a, an out-and-out -out lesbian student um, uh, while I was a student at Westmont because I had written a piece, I occasionally wrote op-eds in the student newspaper, and boy, was I hated. I can't, I, I, I can't even get into how hated I am still at Westmont College. Dr. Piper, we'll, we'll talk about that off-air sometime. But, um, and I asked this, and this woman actually reached out to me, to her credit. She, you know, she was being a good liberal and wanted a meeting of the minds. Um, and so I, I basically I said, you cannot live an openly gay lifestyle and, and call on the name of Christ uh, and justify the two. That's called syncretism. All right, and that's no longer Christianity. And she, and then I opened the Bible. We were in the dining commons. I was like 20 years old or something. And we went to the verses that discuss homosexuality. And you know what she asked me? This is what she said. She said, what version is that? Exactly, exactly. That is like the not most Matthew perfect. <laughs> exactly, but not Matthew Vines. That's exactly right. That is like the perfect anecdote to, to represent sort of um, the, the sort of, um, uh, tendencies of, of Christian sort of higher education. So what version is that? Because the version I have over here from the Lesbian and Gay Alliance Church says that that was read out of context. It, it's, it's just so typical. And you see the same thing happen on abortion as well. But, you know, Hadley Arcus talked about this, uh, Dr. Piper, in regards to our institutions. And the same thing you see happen in the institution of higher learning is that you can have all of the trappings of an office but if the people leading those offices deny the foundational premises of the republic, then it's really just a hollowed out institution. That office now means nothing. And the same thing I think is true with Christian higher education today in many um, colleges is that you have all the trappings of evangelicalism and orthodoxy. Um, but that's also just a hollowed out institution. Um, it makes me think of the famous Bill Buckley line, right? Um, I would sooner trust the first 2,000 people in the white pages to govern me than the Harvard University faculty. Um, yes. and, and that's because there tends to be that common wisdom of the common man that the elite uh, seem to not grasp. Today, it seems to take a PhD to believe that boys can be girls and not all humans are persons. 
Um, and that's what I encountered at Westmont College. Um, here's, a, here's a brief anecdote, Dr. Piper, and then I want to talk about pro-life at OKWU. And I want, I want you to tell us um, the process that you went through in, in sort of girding up the loins of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Um, so when I did my a graphic abortion imagery display outside the dining commons, um, in short order, I got an email from Dr. Gail Beebe, who's still the sitting president of Westmont College. I took the meeting with him. I sat down with him, just me and him in the president's office. And the first question he asked me was, Seth, are you recording me right now? And I actually, I almost did. I, was, I wanted to because I wanted to release it to LifeSite News, but I didn't end up recording it. Um, and then the first question I asked him, Dr. Piper, was, why does Westmont College not take a position on abortion? And, and then I said, Dr. Beebe, you take a position on God's view of marriage and God's view of a sexual ethic. Those are both in your student handbook. And you justify those positions here in your, in your student handbook because the Bible's clear, essentially. Like, the Lord has spoken. Like, this is God's view of marriage. This is God's view of a sexual ethic. How do you not have a position, Dr. Beebe, on, on how we should maybe treat human beings that are created through that God's view of a sexual ethic, namely eternal souls who have never existed before and will never exist again? Why are you silent on abortion? Here's what he said to me verbatim, Dr. Piper. Well, Seth, already patronizing, right? Well, Seth. There are a lot of issues, and you can't expect us to take a position on all of them, end quote. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Your response. Your response. Oh, oh, it's so sad. It's so sad, inconsistent, duplicitous, and hip hypocritical. And it's unbiblical um, in every way. Um, so with that said, let me share with you a story of why this is happening in the Christian colleges and universities. Please do. Um, this isn't an abortion story, but it's a story about biblical truth. And therefore, there's a direct parallel. And the lack of biblical fidelity that led to that response from Dr. Beebe to you is the same lack of biblical respect and fidelity that led to this story. Hmm. It was the day after the Obergefell decision and for your listeners, just a reminder, Obergefell is the decision from the Supreme Court that legalized gay marriage, quote unquote, as the law of the land. The president of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, of which Westmont is a member, Spring Arbor is a member, Taylor, uh, Wheaton, every Christian college in the nation, Oklahoma Wesleyan at the time, and that's the kicker to this story, oh, wow. a member of the CCCU. Council for Christian Colleges and Universities represents about 120 evangelical Christian institutions across the land. I received a letter like every other college and university president in the CCCU the day after Obergefell from Shirley Hoogstra, who's the president of the CCCU in Washington, D.C. And the letter essentially said this, because of the Obergefell decision on gay marriage, we now have two member institutions, Goshen College and Eastern Mennonite University, which have announced they're immediately going to start hiring homosexual faculty on their campuses, gay, lesbian, married faculty as wow. part of their institutions. We need to, she said, we need to have a conversation as a group of presidents about how to respond <laughs> to this. Yeah, a conversation. Have you heard this story? <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm used to that. Seth, let's just have a conversation. <laughs> okay, I'm so sick of that word. We need to make yeah, yeah. that word illegal uh, right, in yeah. today's uh, <laughs> conversations. So, all right, so the story goes on. I need to be brief. The story goes on. I called Dr. Hoekstra, the president of the CCCU in Washington, D.C., and I said to her, this is Everett Piper, president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I got your letter. Uh, Dr. Hoekstra, I just have a question for you. What are we supposed to have a conversation about? Where in the Bible, Dr. Hoekstra, does it say we're supposed to have a conversation about Sodom? I thought the Bible <laughs> called upon us to confess it, not sit around and talk about it. Why are we even entertaining your letter or this idea of dialogue about gay marriage, That's which right. in and of itself is oxymoronic moronic, as well as unbiblical? Her response to me, and I kid you not, was this. Dr. Piper, you know that the CCCU represents many different denominations and colleges. <laughs> We're a big umbrella of evangelicalism. Yeah. In that tent, 
inside that big tent, we have Baptist schools, Wesleyan schools, Nazarene schools, and non-denominational schools like Westmont, Wheaton, Taylor, John Brown University, etc. Dr. Piper, within that tent of many different denominations of evangelicals, we have differences of opinion on matters such as how do you get baptized, whether or not you speak in tongues, creation timeframes, and the woman's role at the pulpit. And in like manner, we need to have a conversation about this disagreement. I stopped Dr. Hoekstra and I said to her, Shirley, her first name was Shirley. I said, Shirley, you just conflated a disagreement over whether or not you get dunked or sprinkled with a volitional act of sodomy. You will never get me to concede this point. If you don't change course and if you don't retract this call for a conversation immediately, I will pull Oklahoma Wesleyan out of the CCCU. We no longer desire to be a member of such a confused organization. Good for you. She wouldn't reverse course. We pulled out. And here's the moral to the story. At the time, there was only one other institution in the nation that did the same. And that was Union out of Tennessee, Hmm. Union University, and Oklahoma Wesleyan University were the only two that withdrew. To my knowledge, there were only three additional ones that followed suit later on. So where was Spring Arbor? Where was Taylor? Where was Wheaton? Where was George Fox? Where was Westmont? Where was Indiana Wesleyan, Houghton College, Greenville College? The list goes on, Roberts Wesleyan College. Where were all these institutions? They didn't have enough spine or at least enough biblical conviction to say, no, this is not representative of a biblical, faithful walk with Christ. Uh, yeah, big tent uh, Christianity is killing the church, Dr. Piper. And, and these were terms that I heard all the time at Westmont College. Christianity is a big tent. We have to make room for all of us. So we have to make room for disagreements, as you just said, <laughs> over baptism, um, speaking and in tongues. Yeah, and, and sodomy. And, 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 oh, and the genocide of baby image bearers who dwell in the there same location that our Savior entered human history in to redeem mankind from their sins. So what? So Mary had a fundamental right to abortion? Please help me understand this, Dr. Beebe. Um, Big Tent Christianity is a farce. It's false. It should be heresy because it's communicating a lie to those that you are claiming you're discipling into the faith, but you're not. You're discipling them into a Christ and Christianity you've created in your own image. Um, Or to quote Richard Niebuhr, who famously depicted the, the creed of liberal Protestantism, as a God without wrath brought man without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. In other words, it's a Christ you've created in your own image. It's a different gospel. And as Paul said, those who came preaching a different gospel than us uh, should be ignored. And, and I would contend today that we are actually seeing an alternative religion, the religion of social justice Christianity, the religion of, of critical race Christianity that is syncretizing pagan ideologies to their faith. Uh, and Bonhoeffer had some powerful things to say to German Christians who were syncretizing pagan ideologies to their faith as well. And that's what I see happening in the church. And that's what I began to learn at Westmont. So here are three professors, very three short quotes I want to read to you, Dr. Piver. Um, and I want to know what you would have done if you had this type of, um, let me, excuse me, crap being spouted by your professors um, at, at, o- at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Um, here are three direct quotes, direct quotes, because I have them in emails. I can show them to you from three professors at Westmont, three different professors at Westmont College. Here's one. Seth, please be aware that there are many committed Christians who are passionately pro-choice for a range of reasons. I won't go in, into them now, but Seth, I would hate to see you equate being pro-choice with a lack of true Christian faith or commitment. There is room for honest dialogue on both sides of this complex issue. Second quote, Seth, it might surprise you to learn that there are many thoughtful, faithful, and inspiring Christians that have ideas that differ from yours on these topics, meaning abortion. 
And third quote, um, the moral particularities of abortion are so fine textured and open textured that Manichaean distinctions about being pro or anti-abortion strike me as ethically obtuse. Our community and our students are best served when our chapel speakers invite us to tarry in the liminal spaces of complexity. Uh, those are um, three. <laughs> those are three pro-choice professors from Westmont College. Uh, what would you do with those professors if that if you heard that from OKWU? Um, actually, I don't know that you want to tell me on air here, but I think <laughs> I might know the third one because that quote sounds so familiar in terms of the style of communication and the it was vocabulary. It was Omidio Chang. Okay, no, I don't. But I know department. another person that would parrot that and probably. Um, <laughs> And probably has plagiarized that because <laughs> without giving that person credit, they've said the same. <laughs> okay, so what would I do? Uh, well, first of all, I never would have hired them because I had a <laughs> litmus right. test at Oklahoma Wesleyan University where I would ask people a variety of different questions. Um, I would ask them, what's their view of Scripture? I was quiet. I forced them to answer. If they said it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative, it's objectively true, it's a revelation of God, it's not a construct of man, good answer. If they didn't say that, they're not stupid. They know why I was asking the question. And I would right. not hire them if they were not boldly, specifically uh, inerrantists. Yep. I would ask them, what's their view of truth? I was quiet, I would force them to answer. Is truth an objective reality given by God, or is it a postmodern construct made up by you and me through conversation? If I got the second answer, you didn't get hired. Now, one of the other litmus questions, litmus test questions that I would ask was, what's your view of life? And they would ask, sometimes they would ask me, well, what do you mean? Well, who defines life? If they gave me any answer other than God defines life, human beings don't then I did not hire them. Anybody who's arrogant enough to think that they can wrest control from God for the definition of what's living and what's dead is a very arrogant person. And I don't yeah. want that person on my faculty. Okay. This is a person who's elevating themselves to be above God. And yeah. it's the same air. It's the same ontological air. This is the same air of defining what's real that we find in the trans debate today when people discuss the human, excuse me, what a male and what a female is. Yep. If you can't yep. tell me that God defines life, God defines a human being, yep. that we are the imago Dei created in the image of God from conception to completion. If you can't admit that, you have no business being on my faculty. And if by some chance you hoodwinked me and lied to me through the interview process, and I found out afterward that you were teaching this unbiblical, immoral, ontological lie to our students, I would fire you on yeah. the spot. That's right. That's period. Right. And that's, that's right. not a vain threat. I would right. do that because that would be a breach of contract. You were hired to teach at a Christian university, and that implies definition. And right. that definition is within the boundaries of biblical inerrancy. And if we right. can't agree that there's some basics that come with the evangel, the gospel, the good news, the biblical worldview therein, if we can't agree that the basics would include God defines these things like marriage, the government doesn't, and God defines what's human, you don't. If we can't agree on that, then we are not on the same page academically, theologically, epistemologically, or ontologically. That's you right. need to go somewhere else to teach. Yeah, that's there right. are lots of institutions yeah, in right. that are going to teach this crap, but not yeah. my institute. That's right. Amen. That's right. Is that, is that um, this is just this is just God and man at Yale all over again, right? This is just this yeah. is just Bill Buckley's. Uh, you know, uh, assertive and comprehensive coverage of the state of what was priorly conservative institutions, um, bowing the knee to to what we now call wokeism, right, or social justice. And now it's happening again in Christian colleges that, like Yale, are leaving their Christian roots 
to embrace an alternative religion, which is why I think you described that so aptly, is that if you're teaching something other than the fact that these are human image bearers of God in the womb from the moment that life begins, you're not just guilty of preaching false science, you're guilty of preaching false religion. The, the religion of Gnostic Absolutely. dualism, that, that, that some humans are persons and some humans are not persons. Well, then who gets to decide who are human persons? <laughs> Absolutely. And some people listening to me might challenge what I've said and maybe challenge you and say, well, you guys are being awfully exclusive. You're being awfully intolerant. That's the antithesis of what a liberal institution is supposed to be. Well, you can't have a liberal institution outside of the context of law. G.K. Chesterton right. gave us this paradox of liberty and law. As you know, Chesterton once said, if you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, liberalism. Mm, you get right. thousands and thousands of little laws that will rush in to fill the vacuum. So what you're going to get if you get rid of the big laws of God, if we refuse to live by the 10 simple laws, he only gave us 10, 10, and frankly, Jesus summarized them in two. We refuse to live by 10 or two, and what do we get as the result? Reams upon reams of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum from progressives, elites, postmodern, arrogant professors and politicians from Washington, D.C. and uh, Santa Barbara, California, telling us how to live our lives. But then they'll turn around and say, you're the intolerant one, you're the exclusive one. While they right. peddle this pablum of saying, I can't tolerate your intolerance, and I'm sure that there's nothing that's sure, and I know that nothing can <laughs> be known, and I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. These people right. saw off the rhetorical ontological branch upon which they sit with every right. word of their mouth and they won't admit it so how dare they turn around and challenge me and say say i'm not truly liberal my liberalism my classic liberalism is grounded in the conservation of god's time-tested truths as yeah. those laws that i can build a liberal community upon because jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth sets you free. Without truth, as, with a capital T, you have no freedom. You have no liberty. And right. as a conservative, I'm much more classically liberal than these progressive oh, yeah. pedagogues that are peddling this pablum right. at your institutions. That's right. That's right. But, Dr. Piper, you're not very inclusive. I thought you were about classical liberalism and the meeting of minds in the marketplace of ideas. Why are you excluding these alternative ideas that should be embraced in the institutions and firing professors who dissent from your view of truth? To which we respond, uh, actually, you're the ones who are exclusive. You don't believe that all humans are included in the personhood family with the protections therein. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Let me translate that for you. You woke, arrogant, millennial professor. Duh. It means duh. It means self-evident. It means axiomatic. It means obvious. It means that these truths are so duh, they shouldn't need articulating or defending. That we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Your view is the exclusive one. You say not all humans have a natural right to life. Whereas we say, no, if you're human, that's it, that's enough, and you're welcomed into the protections and natural rights that our republic was built upon. For the secular progressive movement and the secular progressive Christians, being human is not enough to ground your rights. You must also meet some weird, strange, secular progressive litmus test or cognitive ability function list in order to become a person, to meet their litmus test for personhood. Who's really exclusive here? Um, but again, this is what Bill Buckley called the, the superstitions of academic freedom. And what he, I think, meant by that, and what you hear a lot in higher education, Dr. Piper, is this. I can't tell you how many times this was told me by professors. We don't teach students what to think. We, uh, teach, students we teach them how to think. But you can't teach, um, you can't teach someone uh, how to think unless you teach them certain what's. You can't learn how to think about calculus unless you know the what, that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and not 5, right? You, you can't learn to think about 
how to think about morality and truth unless you learn the what, that there are actually objective um, moral truth that can be discerned through our faculties of reasoning. Um, and if you can't discern the right to life of human beings and you can't get that right right, you're not going to get any other rights right, um, as I often say. And so it didn't surprise me, Dr. Piper, when during the summer of love of 2020, um, I got Westmont's um, seasonal, uh, seasonal magazine where they, they sort of get high off their own intellectual farts and, and, and talk about the great things they've been doing to ruin Christendom. Um, and in there, they shared some new updates from, from BB. And here were a couple of them. Just to make the point that if you don't get the right to life right, you're going to screw everything else up. Amen, right? So here's from Dr. BB last summer, Dr. Dr. Piper. Um, unconscious bias training. So they're, car they're starting oh unconscious my. bias training at Westmont College. <laughs> Secondly, from Dr. Beebe, I, I still have the magazine from last summer. Uh, we're going to hire more black people. Well, why, Dr. Beebe? Because they're more credentialed and, and have better experience? No, just because they're black. Um, or as uh, David Platt said last summer, that he would always go for, out of one out of 10 in terms of, of credentialism, he would always go for the six black over the seven white because, you know, uh, I guess diversity. Um, and then I got an email. So those were two things from last summer they're doing at Westmont. Then I got an email uh, screenshot that someone sent me from a Westmont email sent out to all students. Um, and here's what they're doing at Westmont right now. I'll send you it later. Uh, if you're vaccinated and you get COVID, and so they quarantine you off campus, Westmont will pay for all the off-campus fees. But... If you're unvaccinated and you get COVID and you have to be quarantined off campus, hey student, you're responsible for all your off-campus fees during your quarantine period. <laughs> so, oh, and I think Westmont had armed guards last fall during COVID. I don't think students true? were allowed. I don't think students were allowed to go down to State Street on, on Santa Barbara. So this oh, is all happening on BB's watch, just to make the point that if you don't get the right to life right, you're going to screw everything else up. But with the time we have left remaining, Dr. Piver, you may be one of the most pro-life uh, Christian college presidents in the country. Um, I, I, want you, I would love to have you share with our listeners, many of whom are parents, and some who listen to the show, by the way, um, regret sending their kids to Christian colleges because they don't know who their kid is anymore. Um, I, I get one or two moms um, every speaking engagement, Dr. Piper, who come up to me. Um, and say, I, I don't know my kid anymore, or my nephew or my niece, who went to ABCDEFG College. And sometimes it is Westmont. Um, and, and so just as a, a sort of a, a silver lining uh, that there are men out there like you and we need to create more of them, um, what did you do um, on pro-life besides allowing this, this applied bioethics course to be taught for, for actual credits for students? But you did something very unique uh, that no other Christian college had ever done before. And I actually recall years ago, I saw a Facebook post from you, and you said something along the lines of that, that this thing made you, the, the, was the thing you were the most proud of that you did during your whole time as, as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. So why don't you share that with us? Well, I think you're referring to our purchase of um, an ultra, a mobile ultrasound clinic. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as I know, we were the only institution, uh, only college and university, Christian or secular at the time. And I don't know of any that have done it since. We actually purchased what's called a stork. It's a retrofitted Mercedes uh, bus that is a mobile ultrasound clinic. And we had that equipped and staffed with Oklahoma Wesleyan uh, University nursing students and faculty. And it would Amazing. go around into various different communities. We would park it across the street from the University so of Tulsa cool. or the or the you know or or the University of Oklahoma or Oklahoma State University or you you name it. We would park it in very good places where the traffic yeah. would would be obvious, and we would save lives. Um, when I left. Now, my memory may be off by a handful, so give me a little latitude here. When I left, I asked our dean of the School of Nursing, have you been keeping track of the number of women that did not get an abortion as the result of entering into that van and getting a free ultrasound, courtesy of Oklahoma Wesleyan and our pro-life nursing department? Have you been keeping track of the number of women that chose life rather than death? And she said, absolutely. 
we've saved 120 human beings from execution. Wow. Okay? So when I said I, of all the things I ever did at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and we did some good things. God blessed us. I mean, we were cited by Bain as being in the top 25th uh, percentile, um, the type, top quartile of all colleges and universities in the nation in terms of financial viability. Obviously, we got some main uh, stream media exposure for my not a daycare commentary. Oklahoma Wesleyan was really riding the wave. But of all the things yeah. we did, saving the lives of those children speaks volumes about who we were. And then we took our call seriously, and it wasn't just lip service. We did something about it. Wow. Um, and I can say this. I know you're ready to wrap up. Um, Please. We're Please. talking about objective truth versus subjective opinions. Uh, Dr. Beebe's response to you was the elevation of subjectivity over objectivity. The faculty quotes that you read to me, again, the elevation of constructs versus revelation. It's the elevation of our ideas over and above the revelation of God, the truth with the capital T. As Osgin has said in his little book, A Time for Truth, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. That should be the mantra right. of every institution. And if it is true that a baby that is yet to be born is a human being, then that should be the end of the discussion. You don't kill it. You don't have a conversation about it. You just don't kill it. And you stop others from doing so if that's their intent. Just yeah. as you would stop somebody from killing an adult Jew, an adult woman, an adult Mexican-American, an adult um, African-American, an adult white person. You stop people from killing other human beings because they're made in the image of God. Point made. That's the end of it. And there should be no conversation about this. These people that are sending you these notes, they just like hearing themselves talk, and it's problem. <laughs> I never once, I never once at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, when I spoke at some, I think I spoke at 35 different commencements over the course of my time there. I was often the keynote, not always, but I was often the keynote because it was my last chance to challenge my graduates. Yeah. to remind them what their education was about. It was an education in the pursuit of truth. It was an education grounded in the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of godly wisdom. And I often, I said this many times in my commencement speeches, you're going to graduate today, and you're not going to come up here and get a diploma that says you majored in opinions. That's not what it's going to say. I don't give you degrees and opinions. Today, as you graduate, I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care yep. because you didn't come here to get an opinion. You came here to learn what's true and right and real and good and beautiful. That's why you're here. I'm not going to pat you on the back and say, congratulations, you graduated majoring in opinions. That's asinine. That's absurd. And you know what else? I often told my graduates this, this is a university. I'm the president of a university. You're graduating from a university. You're not graduating from a diversity. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. Because there's unity in veritas. There's unity mm. in truth. There's unity in That's virtue. Good. There's unity in the verities. This is not a divisive institution. I don't have a director of diversity here, and the reason is because this is not a diversity. It's a university, and the academy has been known as that for some 1,000 years or thereabout. That's right. There's unit that brings liberty as we ground our pursuit of truth in the revelation right. of Christ. Period. So good. So good, brother. Oh, my gosh. So good. Because now... These are sons and daughters of God who can make sense of their own liberty by recognizing that laws are the wise restraints that make men free and can live a virtuous life in submission to the way, the truth, and the life. Veritas. What is truth? asked Pilate. And that question is now being echoed 
in the halls of Christian academia. It might not be said as such, but the insinuation is the same. And it all goes back to that same and first lie, the lie that led to every other lie, that if we ate this apple and we did it our way, Dr. Piper, we'd get woke. Eve eating the apple is the first woke story. The serpent says, don't do it God's way, do it my way, and you'll see a mystical different way to see truth. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then what? Your eyes will be opened. In other words, you got woke. You, you saw a different way. <laughs> you saw a different way. And you will become, and you will become as, as gods. gods. That's you right. You don't need God any longer to tell you anything. You don't need That's God right. to define what's true and false. You will become as gods. The pathology of the intellect being given over to a reprobate mind, we start worshiping the created rather than the creator. We worship the God we see in the mirror rather than the God revealed to us in the Bible. That's where we started this show. It's a good place right. to end it. And isn't abortion really the ultimate fulfillment of that first lie, right? I mean, you want to talk about the conclusion of progressivism, the, the, the ultimate intellectual conclusion of, um, of that first lie. It would be that, well, if I'm a God, <laughs> I get to decide who lives and who dies. And mm -hmm. if the church stays silent on that, what can we speak up against? What can we speak for that really matters and has eternal significance? And so um, sadly now the Christian colleges, Dr. Piper, seem to have committed themselves to proving C.S. Lewis right in his prophetic 1943 book where he said, such is the tragic comedy of our situation, we continue to clamor for those very principles we are rendering impossible. In the sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We, demand we the make function. men without chests and expect Chest. of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at traitors, we, we laugh at honor, and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. The gelding to be fruitful. So, <laughs> very good. And Lewis, excuse me, Lewis was so prescient. It was prophetic. He understood the pathology, the sickness of the mind. He understood the dangers that come with being blessed with intelligence. Hmm. And what we have today. I said, I said those were my last words, forgive me. I'm going to add this. The irony, the irony today, back to the, 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 the context of the liberating arts, the liberal arts, uh, academic freedom. The irony today is that those who posture about conversations and academic freedom are the ones waving the banner of ideological fascism right now. Because if you don't agree with them, what's, what's, the, what's the etymology, the origin of the word fascism? It comes from, as you know, it comes from the word fascist. Well, what is a fascist? It's a Roman bundle of sticks bound together so tightly that it can't be broken. It symbolizes the strength of the common bond, the strength mm -hmm. of unity the strength of the collective. Now, there's some positive aspects to that. In fact, we see the fascist and a lot of the freeze work, even in the Supreme Court of the United States and in other sculptures around our national capital. Um, it represented the strength of the United States. Sure. United we stand, divided we fall. That's the fascist. Mm -hmm. Now, the negative side of that is fascism that if you don't look like us, think like us, talk like us, act like us, if you're not one of us, we will crush you. You will That's be expelled, right. you will be censored, you will be silenced, you will be canceled. You are That's verboten, you are unwelcome. And then we have places like Berkeley who fancies itself as the birthplace of the free, free speech, speech movement. <laughs> yeah. Fascist of ideological fascism telling Ben Shapiro and Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, of all people, and <laughs> Milo, that they're unwelcome there because their ideas are too challenging and too out of order with the That's conversation. Right. That okay. is not academic freedom. That's okay. ideological fascism to the extreme. That's right. Let's finish with this as a transition to your book then, Dr. Piper. Back to... Uh, 20-year-old Seth with big, long, curly locks down to my collarbones. 
I'm standing outside the dining commons with dead baby photos, right? Um, and I'm talking with Stu Cleek and Tim Wilson. I like to say their names in case people want to go look them up, these types of, of men without chests. Um, I used to call them spineless, um, Dr. Piper, but now I, I actually say they do have a spine. It's just made of rubber so that they can invert themselves into any theological or political pretzel they need to to go along with the prevailing political winds. Um, so Stu Cleek and Tim Wilson, one of them said to me, Seth, Westmont is these students' home. And they have the right to feel safe. Oh, now, now talk about your book Please. so people can go buy it. Please. Okay. Thank you for that segue. And thank you for that great, big, slow softball pitch. I'm going to get this one out of the park. So my national bestseller was not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth. My publisher came to me afterwards and said, would you write another book, a sequel? I said, sure. So that was released in April. So my most Good. recent book is titled Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Now, I want to repeat that. Grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good. The Apostle Paul repeatedly in the Old Testament told the church of Corinth, told the church of Galatia, told the New Testament church, babies in Christ, the burgeoning body of Christ, to grow up to stop acting like children, stop being satisfied with the milk That's right. of comfort and safety, and grow up and speak the truth in That's love. Right. These are admonitions of the Apostle Paul. And C.S. Lewis, this is why I chose the title, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, the subtitle to the book. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia tells the story of That's when the it. children first enter into Narnia through the wardrobe, they're confused, they don't know where they are, and they don't know what this place is all about. They meet Mr. and Mr. Excuse me, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver down by the river in the beaver den. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking animals. They start describing Narnia to the children. They tell the children that Narnia is, on the, is under the spell of an evil witch and that it's always winter but never Christmas. And then they say, but the rumor, the rumor is that Aslan is on the loose. And when he comes to Narnia, winter will melt away and spring will bloom. That he will break the white witch's magic. He will break the evil spell. The children are confused. They're scared. They don't know who Aslan is. And they hear that he's a lion. So they look at Mr. Beaver and they say, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver guffaws. And he says, of course not. Aslan? Safe? No, Aslan is not safe, but he's good. <laughs> the moral to the story is this. The great lion Aslan is not safe, but he's good. The great lion of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Lord, the King of kings, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, is not safe. He's not supposed to be safe, but he's good. There's a great difference between safety and goodness. And if That's I can right. paraphrase and take that analogy even further, the great lion of the ivory tower, the great lion of the academy, is not supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be good, because goodness is an objectively defined reality of God, That's and right. safety is nothing more than us acting like children, cowering in the corner, wanting our security, wanting our safety, wanting our safe spaces, not wanting to be challenged with truth, but wanting to live comfortably right. in our lives, in our sin, that is not maturity. That's perpetual adolescence. And that's where we find ourselves as a culture right now. So my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, is 20 principles on how to act like an adult in that's a perpetually right. infantilized world. That's awesome. Uh, guys, go pick up his book um, for yourself and your children and your grandchildren. Um, Seeking Safety. Uh, Dr. Piper is really just seeking comfort, isn't it? Um, and so let's finish with um, a call for all of us to avoid C.S. Lewis's line once again. If you look for comfort, you may find truth in the end. Uh, if, you, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will find neither comfort nor truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. And in the end, despair. And our Christian colleges seem to be in the business of pursuing comfort 
Um, and now uh, we are watching the despair and the havoc all around us. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you be, do be done in love. Um, thank you for being a man with a chest um, who recognizes that uh, the way, the truth, and the life takes precedent over your desires and comfort, Dr. Piper. Go pick up his book, guys. Thank you for joining the show, brother. We'll have to do this again. Honored, Seth. Thank you. God bless, brother. Uh, thank you guys for joining the show today. I hope that episode was uh, exciting and blessed you. Uh, share this with uh, Christian young people, Christian college students, um, and uh, those about to go off to college. Um, and we'll have to have Dr. Piper back on again, maybe to talk about um, what colleges we would send our children to, if any, today. That would be a fun episode. Um, and a lot of you guys asked me that, <laughs> about where you can send your, your children to Christian colleges. Uh, check out Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Go get both of Dr. Piper's books. Thank you for tuning in today. To learn more, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com, to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, or to book me for an event, as I have almost 25 events already booked for 2022. Schedule's filling up fast. Uh, this is a Kairos moment, um, and if you want to unite with me to change minds, change hearts, save lives, equip the church and the bride of Christ to end this genocide before it is too late, contact me there, follow me on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. It helps the show climb up the charts. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.